Welcome to our fourth Universalist service video. My name is Reverend Skylar Vogel. I'm the senior minister here at Fourth Universalist. I use he, him pronouns, and we're just so glad to have you joining us. What follows in this video are selections from our service on September 19th, 2021. You'll hear a reading, uh, reflections, and then you hope, we hope you'll join us for a lively discussion afterwards where we'll dive into the themes of the service a little bit deeper. Every week, you're invited to check us out on YouTube, video, or audio podcasts. Visit our website, Facebook, Instagram, and your favorite podcast streaming sites. If you like what you see, we hope you'll give us a positive review. You'll like, comment, share, and subscribe to help spread the Fourth Universalist message further. Finally, we acknowledge that everything we do here at Fourth Universalist is located on the land of the Muncie Lenape people. This acknowledgement seeks to continue the work of of dismantling the ongoing legacies of oppression. We invite you to join with us in this work as we embrace the Eighth Unitarian Universalist Principle. Thank you again for watching. We begin with the reading. Good morning. My name is Ben Haney. I am a field education intern from Union Theological Seminary, and um, I will be working with this congregation this year, and it's very nice to meet all of you. The piece I'm about to read is adapted from an article by Sam Porter, which was published in the Register Guard, a paper based in Eugene, Oregon. Today, we don't seem to share an understanding of the common good, as the Los Angeles Times editorial board recently said regarding the uncompromising individualism of those who refuse to wear masks. That individualism, the editorial board adds, puts the lie to the aspirational notion that when the chips are down, Americans hang together. Democracy requires widespread common deliberation about matters of common concern such as what legislation we should pass and elections. But crucial to common deliberation is trust. I must feel confident that when you're talking about the common good, I am included and vice versa. Distrust can tear a democratic society apart, as the January 6th riot on the US Capitol made clear. In addition, democratic societies require solidarity so that when some citizens are in trouble, e.g. natural disasters, others will hang together and help. Solidarity around what? Around a common commitment to the political ethics of human rights, equality, and non-discrimination, the kinds of things enshrined in key historical texts, such as the Declaration of Independence, the US Constitution, the Bill of Rights, Lincoln's second inaugural address, and Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. Like the divisions over race and the war in Vietnam in the 1960s, the conflicts over the pandemic, George Floyd and Black Lives Matter, immigration, climate change, and inequality illustrate the lack of a bone-deep commitment 
to an intuitive sense of solidarity with the consequences of civic impotence and strife? Do we have the capacity to generate the egalitarian, just solidarity that democracy requires? Or are we going to be locked into mutual distrust and contempt? We need to try to understand people who are different in terms of their aspirations and the human side of their lives. Can we rise to the occasion with fellow citizens who are different in such a way characterized by open, mutual concern and listening? Such mutual effort can liberate something good in all of us. Thank you. This summer, I had the unusual experience of feeling like human folly was following me wherever I went. Began here in New York. In early August, I looked out my window and noticed that my view was obstructed. It was not scaffolding or a crane building something, but a thick layer of haze. The smoke from the fires out west had arrived making the city one of the most polluted places on earth. As a parent of a then four-month-old, I took note. Babies are especially vulnerable to bad air because of their breathing patterns and their still developing respiratory systems. My wife and I made the decision to keep him inside so long as the pollution lasted. No more daily walks that guaranteed easy naps for baby uh, or a chance for us to get out of the house. No more hanging out on the porch, where rocking him with all the city's ambient noise was the easiest way for him to calm down. We ordered an air filter for his bedroom and hunkered down. This was a sign of things to come, we thought. Fortunately, we had a plan to get out of the city and escape the haze. We were going to Florida, Florida has great air. The winds from the Atlantic Ocean and the Gulf blow pollution away immediately. And as we made the long car ride down, with baby strapped in his car seat in the back of the rental van, what we weren't doing was paying attention to the news. Delta had hit Florida. It was fast becoming the global epicenter, and we had arrived just in the fever pitch. Now, being there, you'd never know. Masks were rare. Vaccine skepticism was rampant. Wearing a mask in the public place made you stand out and not in a good way. You got looks like you were some holier-than-thou lefty do-gooder. And of course, the state government is no help, believing that any regulations on behavior is an attack on individual freedom. Arriving in Florida to this mess added an extra level of anxiety to everything, especially with our baby. We resolved to only go do things outside, which was okay because the best things about Florida are outside anyways, botanical gardens, beaches, the ocean. Outdoor eating options are everywhere. It took us a few days of settling in to finally decide to go to the beach that thing that we came down all that way to do. Swimming in the ocean is perhaps one of my favorite things to do. One of the main reasons I want to go to Florida. I was excited also to introduce our son to it, 
even if only to get his feet wet and sort of bob him up and down in the waves. We got him a little bathing outfit ahead of time with a little water diaper. It was going to be great. And then news reports began to come out about a red tide outbreak. Red tide is an aggressive algae bloom that has become an increasing problem in Florida. Although naturally occurring, it is exacerbated by things like rising temperatures, coastal development, and agricultural runoff. It can cause respiratory problems in humans and devastating effects to wildlife. It was not something I wanted to expose myself to or my child. Abandoning the beaches we always visited, we searched for others with lower red tide counts. We eventually did find one, but no swimming for the baby and just below the head for me in the water. This whole series of events, bouncing from one thing to the next, just to be thwarted at every turn, it brought up a lot of feelings for me this summer. It was, on a very practical level, annoying. The problems of the world were following us, no matter where we went. The things I wanted to do, I couldn't. I wanted to be the responsible adult and parent, which meant no walks in pollution, no going indoors with COVID, no swimming in toxic algae. Another feeling was that of impending change. I had been privileged because the effects of climate change had not impacted me personally. But now it felt like it was impacting and dictating my basic life day to day. Was this the new normal, that I would have to check the air quality index before going outside? Or to go to the beach, check the water pollution level? These feelings united to create another feeling, which was anger, because all of these problems are preventable. I felt anger at people who refused to believe that climate change is a human-created phenomenon, and those who refused to wear masks and get vaccinated. I felt anger at people who claim self-righteously that America is about the freedom to do whatever you want, no matter who might get hurt. I felt anger at those who arrogantly trust their own research, feelings, and religious ideas over the wisdom and expertise of those who know more than they do. It's a lot of anger, I admit. What moves it from mere annoyance to anger is being responsible for someone who is vulnerable. I feel protective and also resentful at having to be. I also feel helpless because I can't fix any of these problems by myself. My child will grow up in a world dominated by cultivated falsehoods and delusions, a world that will poison and harm him simply because he lives there. Many of you have expressed similar feelings of anger and trepidation at the state of the world. You struggle with your own negative feelings towards those people who act selfishly and recklessly. You wonder how people can think and feel and act the way they do, how they can be so cavalier, not just with their lives, 
but with all the people that we know are at greatest risk. In the past few years, these patterns of carelessness have blossomed, blessed by institutional and cultural forces that legitimize, exploit, and profit from them. Distrust of science, trust of alternative facts, disregard for neighbor and community. These are all symptoms of many larger problems, but one in particular stands out to me, which is the American obsession with a particular form of individualized freedom. It's an individualism that tells people it is their right to believe anything they want. It sees feelings and emotional narratives as equal to facts, that if I feel something strongly enough, it must be true and you have to respect it. It sees objectivity as violence, an aggression against our God-given right to autonomy. We end up then with a society full of people who believe they know best, despite knowing very, very little. As Charles Darwin said, ignorance more frequently begets confidence than knowledge. Scientists have called this the Dunning-Kruger effect. Now before we liberals, even us Unitarian Universalists, feel smug that this doesn't apply to us, consider how our tradition has contributed to society's obsession with individualism. Do we not say that our freedom to follow our own spiritual path is part of what makes this place special? Or that Unitarian Universalists can believe anything they want? Or have we heard people say in this space and other spaces, I'm living my truth. I'm speaking my truth. It was, after all, our transcendentalist ancestors who first were among those who centered the individual in religion. Trust thyself, said Ralph Waldo Emerson, the great Unitarian minister. Every heart vibrates to that iron string. Trusting yourself is stirring words. It's liberating, liberating words. Unless they are spoken by someone trusting themselves who believes that vaccines have microchips in them. Or spoken by someone who believes that wearing a mask means living in fear. Their failing is not one of sincerity of beliefs. They are trusting themselves, their intuition, their gut. The problem is that their trust is poorly placed. Just because we trust ourselves and feel our truth deeply does not make it true. Individualism devoid of external fact-checking leads to delusion. Freedom without compassion becomes cruel. Twisted individualism and freedom can sanctify our most selfish and immediate impulses. They relieve us of the hard work and responsibility of truth-seeking and loving our neighbor. I'm not saying that individualism is bad. It lets us be who we are, and that is a powerful gift. It frees us from oppressive hierarchies and tradition that keeps us from living our most beautiful selves. 
That's part of what Emerson was talking about. But unchecked and unquestioned individualism is dangerous. There's a crucial difference between trusting yourself about yourself and your spiritual journey and trusting yourself about things that you know very little about. I trust myself about what makes me happy, what makes me whole, about the story of my spiritual journey, what brings me peace. I don't trust myself about climate change. I trust those people who have spent years studying. Same thing about COVID-19. You should trust yourself and yourself about yourself because no one knows yourself better than you. But we need a healthy dose of skepticism about our ability to know much more about anything beyond that. Individualism and the freedom it offers, it can be sacred. But you are not honoring your individualism by recklessly believing falsehoods. You are desecrating it. You are not respecting the freedom it gives you when you confuse it with nihilistic disregard for others. Our society and all of us, we need to understand the limits of individualism if we are going to save ourselves. We need to understand where the distinction lies between what is healthy and what is toxic. I don't believe it's that complicated. We can ask ourselves two questions when weighing the integrity of our individualism. First, am I at risk of hurting others? And second, am I the most qualified person to make this judgment? By honestly answering these two questions, we can prevent the most damaging aspects of individualism. They combat our propensity to disregard others and our tendency towards overconfidence. They center instead healthy humility and respect for life. If we recognize this as a country and even as faithful Unitarian Universalists, we can have an individualism and celebrate it. We can embrace our freedom without weaponizing it against others. We can experience boundaries not as restrictions, but as safeguards. We all deserve that kind of individualism and the freedom it gives, because it gives us life. It gives us a chance to live the way we deserve to, free from fear, free from the risk of other people hurting us and those we love. I don't want my summer experiences to become the norm. I don't want to have to live in fear of someone else's recklessness. But the only way that we can, as a society, create that world where we can be truly free to go on walks outside, to swim in the ocean, to breathe next to each other and share true human connection is by recognizing that individualism has limits and boundaries. Those boundaries are where we risk hurting somebody else and where our expertise ends. Let us embrace those limits. Let us embrace our human compassion for one another and the most vulnerable. Let us embrace our humility 
to not always know and to trust those that do. May it be so, and amen. Hey, everybody. My name is Ember Kelly. I'm the Director of Religious Education here at the Fourth Universalist Society, and I use she and her pronouns. Reverend Schuyler, it's so good to get to sit down and talk with you again today. Thank you, Ember. It's great to be with you, too. I was really intrigued uh, with this message. Uh, I feel like, you know, thinking back on like last September and now this September, I, I really, uh, I love your returning back uh, to the year messages. Um, this was quite the, quite the topic as I was like, huh, I'm really, I'm really curious what, what direction uh, he's going to take this in. And I, I was, I really enjoyed getting to uh, check out this, this reflection. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, it was uh, striking for me to have to write it and to reflect on how these different uh, themes of individualism and freedom weave into uh, into our lives and our country's lives and, and also impact us on a very real personal basis as well. Right. Definitely. So I suppose, you know, it's discussed a little bit in the message itself, but what was the inspiration? Why this message? Why now? <laughs> well, I start with the start the reflection off with a series of anecdotes about uh, my summer and summer of our, our family basically getting disrupted uh, at sort of every turn. We we try to do something and get thwarted, and then we try to do something else to sort of respond to that. We get thwarted, and uh, and and part of part of what was happening there was uh, being being thwarted through human folly, through the uh, through the mistakes and misconceptions that, that our country and, our, and I think the human race right now possess, um, which I think are largely grounded in, in sort of a, a, a almost like a nihilistic individualism that that says I can do whatever I want, uh, I can believe anything I want, uh, and uh, any effort to infringe upon that is an uh, aggressive attack that uh, is uh, akin to persecution, and you know. That is obviously um, just not true, and it's but it is, but it does speak to a lot of these, uh, you know, legacies that I think of uh, of people misunderstanding what it means to be free, what it means to be good neighbors to one another, and we have a long work to go as a as a society. Definitely, um, I'm I'm curious as you wrote the message, was there any like sources that you really drew from that kind of uh, gave you that little extra oomph for the preparation? Well, I always, you know, I always try to go back to Unitarian Universalist sources, um, although in this case they're complicated because I think, like I say in the sermon, there are there are lots of ways that we've contributed to these ideas, including folks like Emerson, who who talk a lot about, uh, you know, the right to individualism and self-reliance, and um, and I think, you know, Emerson, if he were alive today, would would not be against masking or against vaccines or against you know the idea of of human created climate change i think his his advocacy for those things come in opposition to what he perceived as rigid lifeless tradition that was completely uninspiring to him and, and what he felt like a good part of of the people that he knew and so it's not really fair to translate his words around self-reliance individualism 
to our contemporary context because they're just not the same thing. Um, you know, his 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 was a reaction that I think most of us progressive religious folks today would also have reactions against, which is, you know, religion should be dynamic. It should be heartfelt. It should be personal. Uh, we shouldn't just have we, we shouldn't just rely on people to tell us what to believe. Right? We should we should thoughtfully and critically examine things for ourselves, and that's all good. The problem is, I think, when people take Emerson's call uh, to that kind of introspection and, and individualism to basically say, I'm immune from, from external critique uh, or external authorities of, of knowledge and sources of information. And I think that's where we're in right now, where there's so many people out there who say, you know, I feel it, thus it is true. Uh, and uh, you can't tell me what I can feel uh, because it's me, and uh, and we live in the and then people then reinforce themselves in these little ecosystems of, of illusion. Right. I found myself as I was writing the the time for all ages about teamwork and covenant and this idea. Uh, I, I almost included the line, and then I was like, okay, this wouldn't actually make sense to any of the kids. Um, but I was going to say something along the lines of. Even Thoreau needed his, you know, his mom to to wash his clothes for him. You know, we're all part of a team. Um, yeah, Thoreau was not isolated. I mean, Thoreau's wood now are much more much more wild than they ever were back then. Um, yeah. Right. Yes, I, I highly recommend uh, watching Dickinson if you haven't checked out the show. They they have a whole episode about uh, her her getting to meet uh, Thoreau. It was quite entertaining. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, so it seems that we're, you know, really at this moment, you know, so like as somebody new to the UU world, you know, I came in and like, is this discussion of covenant, like whenever you have like a gathering, like when you're doing class, like you make your covenant of rules together, um, you know, there's, but there's, there is also the reputation for like the, oh, you can come to be a UU with uh, anything. Um, and it, it kind of seems like we're at this, this moment that you know, I, I, UU seems to be in like a, a, a bit of renewal to me as, as a, someone new to it, like that there's a lot of new people joining it, a lot of uh, rediscovery and examination, things like the eighth principle. Um, it, it feels like it's this moment where it's kind of deciding like, is it is it hyper-individual or is it individual while also taking part in community? And it feels like there's a, there's a bit of a dynamic there. As, as someone with a bit more UU experience, would you say that's the case? Yeah, I think Unitarian Universalism, like American society as a whole, has has erred in the past around through this hyper-individualism. I think there's lots of reasons for that. I think one, you know, this, the roots of, of Unitarian Universalism are a anti-traditional, anti-hierarchical movement, um, a rebellion against uh, church hierarchy is part of where we came from. And so, you know, the right of congregations and individuals to choose their own path is part of who we are. The fact that we don't have creeds is part of who we are. Uh, and so I think it's, and there are still plenty of congregations that do this uh, and are like this, that that run to their own drum in a way that is not covenantal. Um, you know, I, one of the most striking things I remember talking with Presbyterian colleagues at one point around, and they, they have a very different structure of how they govern themselves as a, as a denomination and they talk about like, why wouldn't you want to have congregations work together? You're all on the same team. And Unitarian Universalism is not operated in that way because there's a real embedded sense of, this is my community and no one can tell us what to do, rather than we come together with our collective wisdom to learn and grow and, and act for the better of the world. 
And so I think we struggle with that historically. I think we see it on denominational level. We see it on an individual level with you know, the, the classic phrase, you know, we can believe anything we want here, um, which has never really been true. And it certainly isn't true now. I think if it, if it means that we can have any creeds, theological creeds, more or less that's true. You can believe in God or not. Um, you, know, you can be Buddhist or atheist or Christian, Jewish, whatever. But in some ways, those aren't the largest divisions in our country. And so to, to say you can believe anything you want is, is disingenuous. Um, so we always say, and maybe we should add something else to this, but you can believe anything you want within the, the bounds, of, bonds of love and justice. And, um, and maybe you should add reason to that as well if we're talking about uh, sort of the misinformation age that we're in. Um, because clearly Unitarian Universalists aren't for you know, anti-scientific viewpoints. Right, and as somebody who has existed online in the, the bit more kind of out there um, spirituality sphere sometimes, it's been interesting to watch, you know, a lot of these folks that um, were pretty progressive, um, at least so it seemed, suddenly, um, you know, become like, oh, I think that, the, that, that QAnon is real and that COVID is fake and uh, these people who like seem to have this very holistic uh, worldview and then suddenly because everything is just about them and their feelings and like what they read about on the internet um then suddenly these people kind of fall into that trap of of uh, i mean it just kind of blows my mind to see these folks that are progressive being like ah oh, all will be revealed and sovereignty and um just all these right-wing code words. It's been, it's been a little bit weird to watch. Yeah, it totally is. Um, it did make it into my reflection, but one of the th most fascinating articles I've read in the last few weeks was one about detailing the number of yoga instructors that were had marched on the Capitol in January. Um, and at least my my view of what yoga is is that it's sort of a an alternative, new agey but fairly liberal politically, you know, tradition. Uh, you know, I think of people on the West Side, sort of like the, sort of the person who goes to yoga is, is a Democrat, maybe not sort of a Bernie Sanders Democrat, but, but someone who is progressive, who isn't sort of on the radical right of Christian fundamentalism, of course. Um, but I do think that there is, there's a danger and a trap that we fall into, no matter what tradition we are, is it, if we believe that our reality uh, uncritically defines everyone's reality. And so if you're, you know, I, I know, Ember, that you are uh, on your way to being a yoga teacher, and I've done yoga as well, uh, you know, there's a, there's a form of that where, uh, where you are told that ancient wisdom sort of trumps uh, sort of common sense and science, uh, and that, you know, there's sort of a, a breaking down sometimes of, our own emotional walls to find some sort of deeper truth, and you're mm -hmm. supposed to trust your your teacher, uh, and and those are all can all be wonderful, beautiful things, and they can all be traps towards abuse, right, uh, and misinformation. Because if you if you're told to trust people who aren't trustworthy, if you're told that there's this other source of knowledge that's different than than verifiable knowledge, right. Um, it gets you you become susceptible to delusion uh and you, you kind of stop questioning having that critical mind that you need to be like well maybe 
it's not just about religion, it's also about the election, it's also about climate change, et cetera. I think there's a thousand fascinating directions we could take this in, but I encourage people to do a little research and, and think about this yourselves and to you know, read these sort of articles about folks getting involved with the, like January 6th stuff. And um, I, I, there's so much to, there's so much to learn about this. Um, but I think, you know, in interest of time, we'll, we'll wrap up here. Um, anything like anything that you would recommend somebody to go check out to, to think a little bit more about this? Yeah, I, I, I always would, you know, I think read Transcendentalists. I think you can read, uh, uh, read about Read about those yogis, you know, and think about what it is about potentially progressive religion that leads people to, you know, illusion and falsehood. Think about your own self, about, you know, where where do your sources of knowledge and insight and authority come from and who do you trust and why is it? Um, is it based on feeling or is it based in sort of something else? Um, uh, I think we all we're all susceptible to this kind of thing. Ember's getting a visitor in her office, I see. I yes. see. I hear the door running. We are, in fact, recording this from across the hallway from each other because we were trying to figure <laughs> out the best way to do this while being socially distanced. And it was a little bit easier to just have us be meeting via Zoom from across the hallway uh, rather than to try and have my iPad camera try and capture us both six feet apart. Um, so Reverend Schuyler, it's always good to sit down with you and I'm going to see you in a few minutes when I, when I close this down. Sounds good, Ember. I'll see you soon. And thanks everyone for watching and uh, hope to see you soon too. <laughs>